This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to another edition here of Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Gillet. Hello, Mary Gillet. Hello. Richie Otay, what's up, baby? Hello, Steve. Uh, all right, all right. White White's holding it down in the studio. Kelly's got it under control back at headquarters, and we are joined in the studio by Christina Hills. Hi, Hello Christina. Hello there. Yay. How are you? Thanks for driving down the road to come yeah. and hang out with us. That yeah. is so awesome. So Neighbors. thank you for being here. And uh, I, I will just put a little time date stamp on this thing, and I will say that uh, I am happy to be out of this uh, this month of May. Uh, oh, last I day bet of May that right drove now. you crazy, The May it? Gray thing? Yeah, yeah. You're, a, you're, a, you're a San Diego yep, yep, native? Yep, Did yep. You, yo, no, really? not native. Not native. I'm How actually from New York City. New York City. Okay, so yeah. you, yeah, so you got out of the cold. How long I got did out you, of the cold. How long ago did you come down this way? Uh, let's see. I moved out here right after college to L.A. Yeah. So I was in L.A. for a while, but I've been in San Diego about seven years. Yeah, you so. got a really uh, interesting story. So what actually brought you out to the West Coast, well, you, well let me ask you this. Um, you you kind of had a what I might call a, a dream job. At least a lot of people on the surface would look at what you I were had doing. I a dream job. Right? Yeah. So yeah. Take, us, take us back to what brought you out to California in the first place. I mean, when you... When you were in New York, you did you go to school in New York? You got your. I went uh, to school in Boston. Oh, in Boston was yeah. it like a was it like a media arts degree? Uh, Boston or? University. I was an art history and computer science major. Okay, and I specialized. What a in, combination! Right? Yeah, yeah, nobody else has had that ever double and major since. ever <laughs> and since. Um, and I specialized in computer graphics. Yeah, and this was oh. right when Tron had just come out. If you remember Tron. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. are we talking like eighty five? Eighty five. Okay, I wow. graduated. Wow. Okay. And so we're talking like original Tron. Original the video game Tron. or the movie? The movie. Okay. The movie. Right? <laughs> you remember the video game? Yes. Did you ever play the radio? Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. For good. Sure. Yeah. Good. So, yeah. So after college, I moved straight to LA to work in the. Uh, I started out in the TV commercial industry mm-hmm. and worked in LA for eight years. Did you, uh, behind the scenes, you were never... Behind the scenes, okay. yeah, yeah. I was a technical director mm-hmm. and worked in the animations department for so, doing the commercials. And you ended up with George Then Lewis? I Well, I worked at NBC for a while. So I was okay. in L.A. doing TV commercials. Then I got a job at NBC on their on-air promotions. You know, remember when ALF was popular? Yeah. <laughs> I do, actually. Yeah. That, yeah. And we but, would do those little graphics that would come on before a show. Did you get like to meet that. ALF? I didn't meet ALF, no. <laughs> <laughs> but I got to watch the Johnny Carson show. Uh, nice. We all watched the Johnny Carson yeah, show. Yeah, but I got to watch Live. the warm-ups. Oh. I got to oh, watch cool. the like warm-ups. like in studio, in hanging studio, out with In studio, hanging out, and that was really fun. So, so. that's, I mean, look. Uh, we We're dating ourselves. Well, buckets. right? <laughs> so uh, television, you did some. Television. Uh, then I went back to Boston, decided I was going to pursue a fine arts career. Mm-hmm. And then this opportunity to work on the film Judge Dredd, do you remember, with Sylvester Dredd. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah so that sure. opportunity came up, and I said, hey, I've never done film. I did television for years, so I'll go work at uh, this studio. Did you do that remotely, or did you have to go back to L.A.? No, 
Uh, they had an outfit in Western Massachusetts. Weird. Okay. Oh. So I worked on Judge Dredd, and I fell in love with film mm-hmm. graphics because mm-hmm. it was a different vibe than television. We're talking like CGI, like early CGI type Computer stuff. Computer graphics, yeah. yeah. So then Sweet. after that uh, stint with Judge Dredd, I got a job at George Lucas's Industrial Light and Magic in San Francisco. That must have been pretty sweet. So yeah, was this that was cool. So let me think about this for a second. So Star Wars came out in 77? Was it 70? Yeah. Whatever the first one was. So by mid-80s, 90s. So you're in early 90s at this point? Yep. So there's yep. probably been at least four or five so, Lucas, like big Lucas films. Yeah. So when I was at George Lucas's company, I worked on Star Wars Episode One, which came out so in the, the 90s, which is confusing because yeah, the there's one, two, and three, the and the four, five, and six. So I didn't work on the 70s one. I'm not, I'm not that yeah. old. <laughs> But that must have been like a dream job. It was job. a dream job. Like, yeah. yeah. At that time, Star Wars it was, I mean, was huge. Yeah. George Lucas, I mean, Hard obviously. to get that job. So did you actually, so how did you get a job like that? I mean, that seems like it's got to be pretty coveted. There's got to be a million people trying to vie for that position. How did you, how did you land that? Because I had gotten into the industry in 1985, early on, I got to meet a lot and got to know well a lot of the leaders in Mm -hmm. the industry who then, as the industry grew, they became heads of studios. So I had a fair number of friends, and I had a lot of experience. So I was totally qualified. Yeah, well, for sure, but... George Lucas. I mean, that's that's like the yeah. holy grail. It of... was a it was a great job. The people were great. It was really fun. So this is all past tense. This is all past tense. Why would you? So leave? you're all yeah. basically saying, like, "Why'd you leave? Why would you why leave would you a leave? gig with George?" I mean, like, and it would, let me ask you this. I mean, did it pay decently? I would it think it paid well. Right. Yeah. So it paid well. You're working on like super fun projects. Right. You're living. Are you living in uh, Northern California? I'm at that living point? in Marin County. So you're living oh, in Marin cool. County. Yeah. So it's pretty. Job, nice people. Dream job. I had a baby. Damn babies. Those kids, they do. <laughs> they ruin it every all. time. Same yeah, reason I and, left. <laughs> well, so here was the deal breaker. I had a baby and, you know, the job was five, six days a week, mm-hmm. 10, 12, 12 hour hours. days. Yeah. Okay. So you had a job. So, Oh, I you were job. lucky. You only had a 10, 12-hour day? <laughs> right? That's a short day in that industry. Yeah, and so it was. if I stayed, it would have meant putting my kid into daycare, mm-hmm. and that's not what I wanted. And like, there's nothing wrong. Lots of women put their kids in daycare. Nothing wrong with that. But yeah. for me, I wanted to be home with my kid, raising my kid. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so that was it. It was like, okay. So did George come down and time. talk to you personally, try to convince you to stay? No. Is there like a, there's got to be like a decent <laughs> George Lucas quite. story in there at anywhere, somewhere. No. Did you, did you, ever, did you ever even like meet him? Were you... We there was a thousand people at that company. At that point, there was already a thousand people. Yeah, there was a thousand people. So I I did actually meet him online when buying a Christmas tree. I (laughs) I just uploaded him then. But no, when you work for when you work for Industrial Light and Magic, you are prepped. If you see George, do not talk to him. Really? Oh, come on. Yep. Seriously? Because he's so big, he gets bombarded by people all the time. So he doesn't want at his company to have fans and most of the people who work there are Star Wars fans. Well that seems but he sort doesn't, of silly. Yeah, I, I get it. He doesn't want to be bombarded with folks saying He doesn't want to be bothered by the peons that make him his billions. <laughs> yeah, you right. Know? It's no, like, it, don't it's reasonable. <laughs> so, you know, you can nod and say hello, but you can't at the company be an adoring fan, which which made sense. And he was most of the time at the Skywalker Ranch, which mm-hmm. was which was up the road. So he didn't 
always come down. Yeah. So this the... this kind of sparked your love for obviously computers and animation and everything that was going on in that whole world of, of technology. Yeah, artistry. Artistry. Yeah. yeah. So I what, mean, think were you about like it. Creating was... lightsabers and stuff. Like, was that? Were you one of those like CGI type? I I would take the computer graphics imagery, like Jar Jar Binks. Remember Mm -hmm. Jar Jar Binks? Everybody hated Jar Jar. I know everybody hated him. Hated Jar Jar. I had a couple of shots, scenes where I had to do Jar Jar. You take the computer graphic imagery and you marry it into the live action. Right? So right now I'm looking at you. Let's say we had a camera, live Mm -hmm. action's filming you. If a dinosaur or Jar Jar Binks walked behind you, my job was to make that look realistic wow. with shadows and lighting. So How cool is so a that? A lot of green yeah. screen stuff. And- yeah. Lots of green screen. Yep. So can you watch movies now and like appreciate a good film or do you look at it and you just pick that thing apart? Like, oh man, did you see that? And your husband's probably like, no. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> I so- try not to do it because it ruins the fantasy. <laughs> right. But when the movie's really bad, then I start picking it apart. Yeah, I bet. Like, oh, that's, that's you, Richie. Oh, you do that too. too? Totally. Because you did some stuff in he television. Was in film and- for years. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. Same thing. So I would just notice continuity. Oh, they walked in. That that uh, iron was up, and mm-hmm. now they the came back, and the right. iron's yeah. down. And it's like it would just try to your point exactly. If it was a bad film, it was getting torn apart. <laughs> like it was really bad in my mind now because I would notice all that. But when it was good, it would pull me back in. I would never think of it. Well, I have a cool story when I worked on Jurassic Park 2. You worked on Jurassic Park 2? I, ju- I worked on Jurassic well, Park 2. So Steven Spielberg directed Jurassic Park 2. So. Yeah. We would have what's called dailies, right? Could you say hi to him, by the way? Well, he was on remote. Ah, He didn't come up to San Francisco. He was down in L.A. So we'd all sit around and watch as as they give feedback, as the directors would give feedback. And there was this one shot, it wasn't mine, and he said to the animator working on it, he said, make the camera tilt down and up. And I'm thinking, why is he coming up with that? Is that Spielberg or Lucas? Spielberg said this, okay? He's like, why is he telling us to do that? That's kind of a waste of time. You know, I don't get it. And the next day I came back and they did that and it made the scene more dramatic. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is why Spielberg is who he is. It's the nuances that make the difference. Exactly. Exactly. So so that's cool. So, I mean, you worked on some pretty big films and then you had your child. Then I had my child, and I was like, okay, I can't stay in this industry. You didn't want to stay after you had your kid? Well... You didn't want to go back to it? I didn't want to put her in daycare all day and have her bond with a daycare worker and not mm-hmm. with me. Yeah. So I they just, I like just didn't first, want that. The first, what, seven years? I don't remember Jack anyway. Like, I mean, like, <laughs> literally, I think at that point, like, yeah, I don't... What, it's only their most foundational years. What's the earliest years? memory you have, Richie? Well, that's because of the very point she's getting at, like... It's all your foundation is there. You don't necessarily remember it. That's all your subconscious stuff. So you'd rather, right. to Christina's point, like you want to be the one that's in charge of what's getting into the subconscious stuff. Wait, I'm curious. Wait, what's your earliest well, memory? You've got... <laughs> oh, I, I really don't remember a whole lot, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> I'd say but five years old for me. Really? Four five. for me. Four, actually, yeah, right. Four and a half, almost five. See? Right. They don't remember, Jack. Yeah, you maybe three or four. But, but, yes. see, but to the point... One, the from year zero to year four, it's not what you remember, it's who you are. That's, so deep. That's yeah. laying down who you are, regardless of what you remember. Man, 
I must have had some Wade jerks in my life at that point. <laughs> You're trying to blank it all out. <laughs> I'm a jerk. Uh, all right. So so you stayed home. Okay. But, so and then was we, the plan always to stay like till till seven? Let no, that kid so, go to first grade kindergarten, and then you'd go back. So here's what happened. We left the Bay Area and went up to the uh, Lake Tahoe Mountains. Okay. So I quit my job. My baby's like three or four months old. We move up and buy a house in the mountains. So I am now totally cut off from all my networks, all my contacts, all my job possibilities. Yeah. And I'm raising my baby and not doing much. But you live in heaven. Like that is one of the most beautiful places. But I'm living in the woods. Yes, it's really beautiful up in Tahoe. So at some point you decided you got to get back into this. I mean, you obviously have the technology bug. Right. And you started getting into the world of e-commerce, started building carts and those sort of things. It's interesting because I do come full circle, which we'll hear about as we go on. Yeah. I started building websites. So this is mid-2000, like 2004 or 5, somewhere in there? This is like 2002, 2003. So early 2000s. I started building websites. We're talking like from scratch? From scratch. When it was hard. When it was hard. Like no WordPress? No WordPress, HTML. It was hard. Yes. So that's what I started doing. So did you just get like that that building websites for dummies book and start going through that and start figuring (laughs) out like... Code and how to make that, right? GeoCities, right? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I had a computer science background, so that helped a little bit. Yeah, I um, would think. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was, I just sort of learned as I went and just started getting books and, mm-hmm. and got a few clients and, and was building sites. And it's, it's kind of funny because now I tell people to fire their webmaster. Mm-hmm. And I was, I started out as well. Because that's actually. your work now, right? I mean, exactly. the, the core work that you do now is exactly. empower people to help to build their own sites. Right. Do without it yourself. A with, webmaster, and exactly, which is a scary proposition. I mean, I, I guess the question—it's like it's come so far down the path, though, in terms of like a like a Wix and a Squarespace and like some of those that literally it's just sort of drag and drop. Do people even need that now, or is it like what? What do you tell them now? Because obviously, back then when you were building them, they needed you, and you right. obviously cut your teeth on all of that. But now, do people even still like? Do they need to do it themselves? What's, what's your thought around that? Well, here's the thing about doing it yourself is when no one's going to care more about your site or your business than you. Mm-hmm. And when you hire somebody else, they're slotting you in. They're, you know, drinking their coffee. They're taking their time getting back to you. And the way the Internet changes and the way marketing goes you want you need to be able to respond quickly mm-hmm. if you've got some a promotion you want to put out. Sure. And when you have to wait for somebody else, it's costly and it just takes forever. Even if you have the best, nicest web designer. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's lots of great web designers. I'm not faulting them, but for the person who's getting started building their business online, it's it's too costly and it takes too long and you can just burn up burn up a ton of money and most of them are kind of flaky because we're talking like web designers well just web designers uh, web developers web, web masters well, partially why they get into doing it on their own is they want to do you know the freelance and they want to be free and mm-hmm. do what they want when they want but they can't make enough money correct me if i'm wrong by the way christina they can't make enough money with just one client and so they have exactly. to have multiple clients, and they never know what client's going to need what when and their yeah. sense of urgency and all that. So it's right. just when you combine that, so they take that, on too many. They take too many on. It's and like a general contractor. 
Like, <laughs> exactly. I'll be there on Tuesday. Tuesday goes by. Where were you yesterday? At the other job. Been another, like, that whole kind of yeah. thing. Okay. Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. So, so let's get oh, yeah, back to no, the no. niching. Yeah. 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 So, so I was building sites, and I was like, okay, how am I going to compete with all these other web designers? And I yeah. decided to niche on the e-commerce space, mm-hmm. and I became the shopping cart queen. So in the mid, well... Whatever we so, call, what do we even call that? Like the two thousands? Is that what we know. call that decade? I don't even know the what we odds. call it. Yeah, I was right? going to say the odds. That, so, by the way, is where I recognize you from because I come up from e-commerce too. It, it wasn't Miva, Miva Merchant actually specifically as far as they were one of the Interesting. first. Interesting. It yeah. wasn't the hijacking of your server where because someone hijacked because you said uh, a webmaster. I'm getting to that story. You're getting to that story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this, this is this might be where you maybe not. We'll get okay. to that story in a second. Yes. <laughs> All right. So I decided. You know, I had set up a couple shopping carts connected to websites for a couple clients, and I thought, oh, I could niche in this, and I became the shopping cart queen. Mm -hmm. So this is back in, like, 2005-ish, So if you wanted to accept a credit card and you wanted to sell something... Exactly. It was, I mean, you... I don't even know how you would do it, right? There were no plug-and-play type of... There wasn't. Back then, you had to hire a developer and create your own and get a secure certificate. You Mm -hmm. had to build it from scratch. Mm -hmm. And the one shopping cart system came out, Mm -hmm. and they rose up. Everybody got it, and I became an expert in that. And so I'd go to marketing events. That's probably where Mm -hmm. I met you. Mm -hmm. Marketing events and promoted myself as the shopping cart queen. And back then, see, it's different now, but back then business owners wanted to do this themselves. Mm. Now, most of the time, people are getting their virtual assistants to set up their sure. shopping cart, or sure. there's really not that much to do now. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I niched in that, and I, I got a name as the shopping cart queen. So did you do it based on uh, like your revenue model at that point? Was it based on a percentage of sales? Did you just charge them a flat fee to set it up? And in hindsight, would you have done it differently? Um, I just was doing setup fees. Mm-hmm. So people were hiring me to do the setup. So it was setup services. And then I created an online course called Shopping Cart Secrets. Ooh, <laughs> and, there's an original name. And, and started like teaching online and discovered I liked the teaching online better than doing the setup work. Because mm. you can scale, mm-hmm. right? So if you mm-hmm. teach an online course, you can scale it. Yeah. But if you're doing setup work... You know, you can only take so many clients because it's time for money. Sure. Yeah. So um, just moving forward and now you're helping people and empowering people to be able to do this themselves. What what are some of the things that you teach folks in terms of because obviously the way that we consume information and education and entertainment and so on. I mean, it's all evolving. It's all organic. Things continue to you know, move in, in different directions. What, in terms of best practices today, if someone's going through your program and, and learning how to you know, do this on their own, what, what do you tell them in terms of today's best practices insofar as what a site should should have? And, and I mean, even like being found, I mean, I think that's a big part of it as well as we think if we just build it, they'll come, but we know that that's not the case. So let's let's go over some of the best practices and then uh, once you build this site, how do people even? How, how do you recommend that people get uh, to know you and find you? So you, your site always should have a call to action, and that call to action is going to be different. So what do I mean by a call to action? So when somebody comes to a website, when when you want when your prospect comes to your website, what do you want them to do? Mm-hmm. So do you want them to call you? Do you want them to come into your store or yoga studio? 
Do you want them to opt in? Do you want them to set up a free consultation? Mm -hmm. See, I help people who are coaches and consultants, and I also help people who have brick and mortar, mortar. like a yoga studio, and people who are selling products. So it's going to be different for every person, but when you're building a site, what do you want them to do? And that needs to be obvious when they land on your site. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What action do you want them to take? And one call to action on a site 50 well, like what i mean what what's kind of the magic probably number have, there you know you'll probably have multiple calls to action mm-hmm. you know like like your site is great like i go there and it's like listen to the radio mm-hmm. you know that's the call to action and that's how people are getting to know you yeah. so your overall arching site should have one main call to action yeah that's <laughs> um that's the struggle and maybe you can help mm, at least me, so this will be completely self-serving. But like my personal site, uh, the steveolsher.com site, not where you mentioned radio, but like my personal site, we've got, I don't know, like 50 calls to action. Like there's so much going on. Like I hate my site. (laughs) I mean, it's hard. But we got all those things going on. So so what do you do? do? I mean, you can have more than one call to action, but... Don't have it be too busy. Think of the main thing, right? Because we always want people to come to our site, and then we want them to find us on social media and follow us on social media. We want them to opt in. So basically your site is a way that you're building a relationship with your audience. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to build that relationship? It's going to be slightly different for each person. Now, some people getting started, they're thinking, oh, my gosh, I don't have the resources to do all these things because my main market is folks who are getting started online. Mm -hmm. One of the easiest ones, especially if you're a consultant, is sign up for a 15-minute consultation. Mm -hmm. And then you can close them and, you know, sell them on the phone. Yeah. To your question there, Steve, one of the ways, now I don't necessarily say this has to be the way, yeah. but you don't have to have all those conversations or all those calls to action so obvious, right? You can have them in the hamburger menu or whatever. Like there's ways you can still have all that thing, all those things on your site. Wait, that's going to explain a lot. We need a hamburger menu. On our, <laughs> I love not, that term. You know what I mean. Just I the don't little, know what you mean. Is that an ah, actual thing? Yeah. You know a the, hamburger menu is yes. a thing? Yeah, you know like. Oh, that the, three line yeah. thing. Three line. You mostly see them on mobile On mobile. Sites. Okay. Right. The hamburger. Oh, that's yeah. seriously what it's called. That's uh-huh. yeah. funny. A hamburger menu. You know, this is a very smart show. It is a yeah. seriously <laughs> smart show. Now you people know. I have no. a I have a blog post in the back of my head on hamburger menus. Hamburger menu. I got to write that one. That's funny. So you're saying? So, you know, it really... It's a customer journey, and you know this already. Where are they at in the journey? Where did they just come from? You can mm-hmm. land them on a different page. Your homepage has so many calls to action on that site, yeah, it does. and they could be coming from so many ways. They don't. They could get lost and not know where to go. And at least I'm sure you have pixels on there. And if not, Kelly will put get them put on there so you can retarget them later, depending upon what they're doing somewhere else and what mm-hmm. other messages they're c- clicking on of yours. But you don't have to make all the calls to action so obvious is what I'm getting at. You can... Yeah. They'll subconsciously get them, won't they? Well, and they'll find them if they're looking for them, too. They'll They'll find them if they're looking for them. They'll want to go deeper with with what they came in to get. So let's talk about kind of like modern-day best practices as far as a a site goes, and and, mm, not hamburger menus because that will make me hungry. But (laughs) my... 
my question is, what do you think about uh, like segmentation right off the bat in terms of uh, getting people to take a, a particular path? Sort of like, a, are you here because you want to learn how to build a site or are you here because you want us to build a site for you? Like, you know what yes. I mean? Like right out of the gate, if that's kind of your expertise, like for me, you know, are you, I'm just kicking around ideas, but like, are you here because you want to discover your what? Are you here because you want to learn how to share and market your what? Or are you here because you want to learn how to monetize your what? Like, you know, like that sort of segmentation right out of the gate. Well, you know, here's the thing. As business owners, we're changing and the marketplace is changing. So when I first started, most people didn't have a WordPress site. Mm -hmm. And they were looking to get onto WordPress because it's the easiest, it's the biggest platform. I think they have 30% of all websites now are on WordPress. I mean, they have a huge market share. Yeah, it's it's over 40. It's literally over 40. Hmm. Yeah, it's huge. It's huge. And it's free. It's a free mm-hmm. platform. So mm-hmm. big back companies to, too. Yes, there's some big ones on there. Yeah, New York Times, Sony Music, uh, People Magazine, WS Radio, <laughs> MaryGulay.net. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so when I started out, I was marketing to people who didn't have a website. Yeah. Now it's changing. I'm getting people who have a WordPress site, but they don't know how to use it. Mm. So just know that. Websites are organic because they, over the years, they'll have to change as the marketplace changes or mm-hmm. as, as you change. Yeah. So you always, so that's part of why I like people to know how to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Nothing mm-hmm. wrong with having an assistant, nothing wrong with that. Nothing but you wrong with like outsourcing. A, like a template. I mean, there, there's got to be some, again, from sort of a best practices standpoint, like if you, if you just look at what's working well now, as far as sites are concerned, what what are some of those best practices? What are you seeing? I mean, yes, the call to action, I get that. Right, right, right. But I mean, in terms of the segmentation, is that are, are you saying that's a future? No, I'm saying evolution of this. You should put that into place. Put that into place. Yeah. Now. But if you know, if you're listening to me and you're thinking, "Oh my gosh, I haven't done that," you know, mm-hmm. you can always. You're, you're where you're at now and, and just move forward. So, mm-hmm. yeah, segmenting people into, um, you know, do you already have a website or do you not have a website? Because those are two different kinds of folks. Because mm-hmm. if, they, if they already have a website, then what would be your product for them? Like, what would you try to enroll them into if they already have a website? What, what's your... What's your revenue model around that? And then what's your revenue model around if they don't have a site? Well, there's a couple, two types, types of people. There's somebody who has a website, they built it themselves, and they're kind of like intermediate in terms of WordPress. Mm-hmm. There's another type who hired it out. They have a website, but they've been paying and paying and paying, and they're mm-hmm. kind of tired of paying it. Mm-hmm. So I actually take those people through my beginner course so then they can then take over, take over the site. And did, like, you, did you strategically price your course cheaper than what they pay their developer? I did. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's sort of like a like a website takeover training, like how to take back your site and that sort of thing. So uh, I should are, use that. That's good. Thank how you. to take back your site. So I'm I'm just trying to figure this out. Like, what are people actually paying for? Because I, I don't. I mean, like, I don't think we pay. Kelly would know better than I would. I don't think we pay anyone like on a monthly basis, other than the the host. 
right? So you're saying people are actually paying? Yes, there's uh, a lot they, of people. What pe- are they paying? $100 paying? a month for to trainer what? to do backups and updates. Which... Isn't that done automatically? I thought that was done automatically with the... Uh, with the server companies. Sometimes like. they do, sometimes they don't, but it's a great business model for web designers. I bet. Is, is having a maintenance package where they back up your site. Maybe they do a few little updates for you. But yeah, that's $1,200 a year that you really don't need to pay. Because there's no hard costs. I mean, like to the to the person that is charging you, they, they don't really have any hard costs tied to that then, do they? This is just kind of like a, like a maintenance it's like a maintenance. Steve? It's like just making sure the updates went mm-hmm. and just backing it up. That's just kind of pissing away money then. So if you're charging a thousand bucks or whatever you're charging for your program, then you teach them how to do that. Then obviously they get their and ROI. And they can build multiple sites. In fact, some of my people, I, I don't really advertise it because I'm, I'm, I'm here to help the entrepreneur, mm-hmm. the, the regular entrepreneur who's not a techie. But some of my people build sites, and then their friends look at it and say, hey, will you build a site for me? Mm-hmm. And they then start their own revenue stream of building WordPress sites for other people. Yeah, right. And plus, I'd imagine the elephant in the room here is they're at a certain level. Because once you're getting enough revenue from your site, I doubt you know, you're making $2 million a year on your site you're probably going to be better served working on your business instead of in your business. Right, right. But but for the person who's wanting to take that dream out of their head and get it going. Exactly. Like this is a perfect situation for them to be like, hey, I don't have to spend extra money working other places to pay someone else. I could already get my idea right out of my head, right onto my website. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And when you know how to do it yourself, if your assistant has the flu and can't come in on the day you're launching... Right, we yeah. probably all had something like this. You can Kelly get in there. Sick. <laughs> yeah, but you can, you get, can in get in there and make those changes. So, you know, you, your business can grow, and that's the great thing about WordPress compared to Wix or Weebly or Squarespace. It can grow to anything. Mm-hmm. You know, all the professionals don't use the Wix, Weebly, and Squarespace. Mm-hmm. They're using WordPress because you can grow to a a multi-million dollar company mm-hmm. on that one platform. Mm-hmm. But isn't it isn't it a function of being like when we just did our recent launch of profiting from podcasts, our server got hammered. I mean, which is which is great on one hand, but slow load times are, you know, I mean that's that's not a good not thing good. when you're trying to yeah. get people engaged with what it is that you're doing. So what, what are some of the things to think about in terms of website killers? I mean, obviously, slow load times. Uh, I mean, we didn't, we didn't see that coming, and it obviously spurred us on to start pursuing some other options from a hosting standpoint because we were on a shared server, and now we right. got to go to a dedicated server. Like, what are some of the website killers that you're still seeing out there? Yeah, slow loading, uh, not working on mobile. So you want to check your site on mobile to mm-hmm. make sure it works. And, and Google is now um, penalizing people who don't have mobile responsive websites. And, and not just not having mobile, but they're mobile first now. Right. Like seen- they, want, they look at your site and judge you by how good your mobile site is before they look at your regular site mm-hmm. because yeah. most searches are on mobile first. The purchase might not happen on your cell phone, but they find you most of the time first on your cell phone. Mm-hmm. And so to, to Christina's point, they don't just not rank you as good. They literally penalize you 
Mm-hmm. You'll go backwards. Aren't all sites built for mobile? Old ones are not. Old ones are not. Old ones are not. And old WordPress themes, the theme is the design mm-hmm. of your site. Mm-hmm. So when when WordPress came out, they wanted to keep the design separate from the content to make it easy to change designs. Because mm-hmm. way back when, if you wanted a new design on your website, that was a whole rebuild. Yeah. So now the design is, is pretty easy to switch designs. But if you're using an old, outdated theme... It's not mobile responsive. Mm-hmm. So most of them nowadays are, but you know, I'll come across old sites that are not mobile responsive. So if you haven't changed your site in like, what, what's kind of your rule of thumb? Like how often do you need to look at, update, revamp, like you know, totally destroy, throw out the window and start from scratch? Like how often should you be looking at doing things with your site? It, it's pretty funny. Uh, websites are like haircuts, okay? Websites are like haircuts. So... <laughs> You know how it is with your haircut, and I know the women can relate to this probably more than the men, but you look in the mirror and you're like, I look fine, I look fine, I look fine, and then one day you're like, oh my gosh, I look awful, I need a haircut. Like it goes from... Is that what happens, Mary? Yes, yes. It goes from I'm fine to this is terrible, and then you're... So there's no in between with the haircut There's no in between. It's like... (laughs) Yeah. And I, I don't know, I tend to change my design every about three years. Every... Oh, so you can you can create a pretty decent design and, yeah. and let it ride for a, okay interesting that's that's what I do about every three years these days um, because people have big monitors mm-hmm. big imagery is in yeah. although it's funny because now we've gone from big monitors back to tiny little tablets mm-hmm. and and cell phones mm-hmm. but you know the the modern hip current site look is. Big imagery. Mm-hmm. Wade, you're jumping out of your chair. What's going on yeah. over there? Well, just I, I was wanting to tie something in, and this might be an appropriate time for it. Um, and I want to kind of tie some things together. So the predicate is um, you're helping people understand and demystify building a web page. A lot of it's nuts and bolts. Lots of people can teach the nuts and bolts. But I would imagine, I would imagine one of your value adds, and I don't know whether it's explicit or implicit, is your background. I prefer explicit, by the way. Right? As Richard mentions, you know, video is a land of forced perspectives. You saw firsthand how much control you could have over that experience by the presentation and everything. That's way beyond the nuts and bolts. So I'm wondering how much of that experience uh, is imbued in your philosophy and is actually being presented as you're, you know, on the surface talking about nuts and bolts things, how much of that experience has influenced the way you see the creation of websites? Yeah, and by the way, I just want to say that um, that's the first time I think I've ever heard imbued and predicated used in the exact same. That was Those impressive. That Explicitly. Was impressive. Explicitly, too. That's impressive, Wade. That was a very intelligent question. <laughs> Um, I kind of like to bring my special effects uh, expertise yeah. into the whole website thing because when you're watching a good special effects film, you don't notice the special effects. Mm-hmm. You're, just, you're just drawn into it and you go with the story and the fantasy. Well, a website's the same thing. You want people to see your site, kind of know what to do, click the next page, makes sense, they click somewhere else, and it's kind of like, 
the whole special effects thing. Mm -hmm. A good website, you don't notice. It just feels good and you Mm -hmm. flow through it. Mm -hmm. A bad website, like you've probably been to a website where you go there and then you want to buy and you click to buy and now you're on something that colors are different Mm -hmm. and you don't recognize it and and then you get spooked. You're like, oh, I don't want to buy this because I was here and now I'm over here and... Yeah, and people so. get leery because of all the online fraud and exactly. phishing and all of exactly. these. Yeah, yeah. Yep. No points. Points well taken. So uh, let me just. So let me ask you this then. You, I mean, you've had a just a, a really interesting history of uh, being online over over all these years, and um, I think some of what you've uh, obviously had to go through has helped you to, well, create the company that you've got now that obviously does the work that it does to help so many people. But you. You had to learn the hard way a few times along uh, exactly. along the along yeah. the path there as well. I'm so, uh, well, you know, it happens even to the best of us. So, uh, you were telling me before the show that you actually had a uh, a web master kind of hijack your site and and put something pretty interesting on it. Yeah. So uh, before I learned WordPress, um, <laughs> and I had an HTML site. Uh, my husband's like, okay, we need to have a WordPress blog. Okay, so I hired an agency to build me a blog, and mm-hmm. they built a couple of blogs. And then I later discovered, as I was going through my server, my web guy had put pornography mm. on my servers, and he was building his own membership site. On so your I, server? On my servers. So I'm paying this guy, and I'm wondering why he's so slow, Right. <laughs> I'm paying him to build me a WordPress. His hands are busy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I'm paying him to build me my site. Focus, man, focus. You know, he's telling it's taking long and long. This is before I knew WordPress. Mm -hmm. And then when I look through my servers and I find this pornography and I find he built his own membership site, I'm like, that's it. Okay, forget Mm -hmm. it. I fired that guy. Mm -hmm. fired that webmaster. I said, okay, I'm going to learn WordPress. Yeah. And then I learned it on my own. Back up. (laughs) What was the conversation like? I mean, did, could you pre- uh, like press charges for something like that? It was an overseas agency, mm. and so I, when I discovered it, I sort of dealt with the manager, and, and they were like, we'll give you somebody else. I'm like, forget it. I don't want to have mm-hmm. anything to do with you guys, and it, you know, it was money down the drain. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not like, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's not like other people knew that this pornography was on her server. So he was this, piggybacking he was like, on your... He was just using the space on her yes, server exactly. to do his own stuff. To do his own stuff. He just didn't want to pay for the hosting anywhere, so he basically exactly. did it on your dime. Uh-huh. On my dime. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Why nobody didn't you wants try that. to get reimbursed? Just you know, wash your hands again, right. overseas agency, <laughs> I was just like... Yeah, You know, I didn't want to deal with them. They weren't being that cooperative. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was like, okay, I'm going to learn this. And I learned it. And then I was like, hey, I can teach this to other people. And so I morphed out of Shopping Cart Queen into the website creation workshop. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I don't, I don't run Shopping Cart Queen anymore. Yeah. I help people build sites because it's a bigger market. Jeez, I want to go check my server. <laughs> I know, right? So, so website creation workshop—that's your current yes. business. Yes. And is this—is uh, it like a like a school? Like, in other words, you have a like an open. You're open for registration. Then you take people through the process, and then you close. And like, how how do you structure this? Or can people go through your training at any time? How, how does that work? 
I, I run classes with a group, so um, you come to my site and then you'll find out when the next class is, and so I sort of open up registration and get a class going, and then I close registration. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, what does it cost for somebody to go through uh, your training? Nine ninety-seven. Mm-hmm. So $1,000 to not only build one website, to build as many sites as you want. Mm-hmm. You know, I teach hmm. people how to fish. Yeah. Uh, super smart. Very yeah, good. super smart. So as I mean, what's what's next for you? Like what what do you see in terms of your business and what do you see in terms of the future of online sites and, and e-commerce? Because you still have I'm sure you still have your finger on the on the pulse of what's going on in that world. So what, what do you see as being next? You know, it's just getting bigger and bigger. And if you look at universities, a lot of universities have online classes and it's just, it's really convenient mm-hmm. to be able to learn from home. Mm-hmm. So For sure. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still going with this mm-hmm. and teaching other things. I teach people how to create their own graphics now. So I have the graphics creation workshop. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm expanding out into, into other things. Yeah. But Did you take your um, graphic arts ability and, and create templates that they could start from also or yeah i have i have templates that people can use but again it's the do-it-yourselfer who's not an artist Mm -hmm. so teaching them kind of basic graphics for their website social media Mm -hmm. whatever they want to do yeah just sort of so if you're selling anything online at all do i mean do you recommend kind of the the amazon model if you will where you've got like zero content in because uh, if you go to Amazon, I mean, you you know you go there, and there's nothing. There's no, there's no blog posts. There's no videos. Right, right. There's no you know. There's nothing fun and engaging and entertaining. You you go there and you're there to buy. End of story. And and it seems like a lot of folks who are selling things, myself included, we're still trying to do all these stories and and videos and like is that. Are we trying to mix apples and oranges here? Like, should should there be one purpose? If you're, I mean, if you're selling anything at all, do you even need all the other stuff? I guess is really my question. There's two kinds of businesses. So there's an Amazon type store that's selling T-shirts or you know whatever everything. they're yeah. what everything. Yeah. And then there are the experts, consultants, coaches, information marketers. That's more who my tribe is. Mm-hmm. People who are. But they're all selling things. They're selling things, but they're more telling stories. You know, Mm -hmm. they're telling their stories through their websites, their blogging. So they are selling, but it's not like an Amazon type store. So that's is that whole crowd making is that whole crowd making a mistake though? Like, are they are they wasting time trying to tell a story that people don't want to hear? They'd make more money if they did. If they did tell the story yeah. or if they didn't? If they did. If they had follow-up. You know, it depends how, how niche it is. But mm-hmm. if you've got a good niche with a market, if you follow up with emails and stories and engage them, you'll you'll make more money. So you're but talking about like an indoctrination sequence, but I'm talking about yes. like the site itself. Like if somebody comes to your site, don't you just want to give them the opportunity to buy and not tell them like a whole bunch of like, hey, client A did X, Y, Z, and like, I, I mean, it just seems to me it's like a different we, relationship. So, yeah. uh, an Amazon type store is like people are there to buy in and out, make the sale, they know what they want, boom. Mm-hmm. But there's also a story in that because we read reviews. Yes. So there's a right. story in. 
there is a story in there. That's mm-hmm. a very good point. Great mm-hmm. point, Mary. Because well, I you. believe it's both. To your yeah. to your conversation that you've said a couple times, the information marketer world, and actually Christina even mentioned it, the information marketer world's over here, the dot-com world's over here, and I believe um, that There's it's both. Yeah. That well, it's a marriage of the two, but I'm not not to take away from what Christina is saying. Like, I totally believe you have to have your own. You have to have your own. Your Absolutely. own. Your own store. Like, your regardless own whether you're doing Amazon also, mm-hmm. I think you should because just the sheer reach and the way you can retarget and just there's just so many other things you can do. And you know, to her point specifically, they're going there to buy. Well, let's talk. Let's come back to reinvention because mm-hmm. a lot of my people are working corporate jobs and they're wanting to leave it and mm-hmm. start something. So you don't leave a car- corporate job and then start Amazon. Mm-hmm. So there's a there's a, a, a transition while people are reinventing themselves. So most start out as consultants. They take their expertise, they put up their website, and they're selling their coaching and consulting. Mm-hmm. From there, they might start to build products. So there's a, a journey. Mm-hmm. that people go through. Mm-hmm. So I help more the folks who are reinventing themselves from maybe one job to another, and that's why I focus in on the stories, mm-hmm. your credibility, mm-hmm. et cetera, so people are buying you. Yeah. And, and then to the way I would marriage it is you then take your book, you know your book's digital, you sell your book on the biggest bookseller there is. Absolutely. And then you, in your book, you're driving them back to your website. Mm-hmm. It yes. almost kind of begs the question if, and I don't even know if Amazon allows for this or not. I never actually looked into it, uh, but maybe I should. It almost begs the question of like, so from an information marketer standpoint, like if you should take your program and put it on different distribution channels like like in Amazon, like should profiting from podcasts be for sale on Amazon? So if somebody types in podcasts, like that would come up. Like, is that even possible? Because it's not a physical product that gets shipped? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is possible. Yeah. I mean, it's different in how do it's delivered. Do that? There's, it's hard to describe. I mean, you can put your, your book on Kindle or well, the your book, PDF. Yes. Or, so now mm-hmm. you have Oh, a, I guess that's true. It is just yeah. electronic. Yeah. So now you have a space on. I wonder. I wonder if people actually do that. I don't know that I've actually seen some of the information products like on some of those distribution channels like like Amazon. I well, know we're going down a different path here, but it uh, the it more just... channels you can get in, the better. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, there's so many so many hours in the day. But just think about where's your market hanging out, and then mm-hmm. have a presence there. Mm-hmm. So if your market is buying books, and you know they're on, well, I guess everybody's on Amazon. But you know, having an Amazon presence is not a bad idea. Yeah. Having a Facebook presence, having a Twitter presence, having a YouTube presence. Mm-hmm. You know, the more places you can get. Yeah, and don't the forget better. they own all kinds of other things other than just Amazon. You're talking like they own the audible.com. Yeah. They own, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they own Twitch, video streaming, like they own yeah. all kinds of stuff. A different things. And so the, the, to Christina's point, those platforms, you, you only have so much time in a day. But if you can get everywhere, why not? Just make sure it drives them back to your own stuff. Mm-hmm. Because when you sell a, a tangible product on Amazon, they're the ones that has the customer data. Yeah, they don't share that customer data. They give you the shipping address. Now, there's workarounds. That's that true. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they don't make it super you don't even get easy their for the email. business owner. 
You don't even get their email addresses. You don't. You don't get information to follow up with them. Really? But then but there's other. But you can other... insert stuff. Yeah. If you ship, yeah. you can insert Put stuff. In the box, sure. Yeah, in the box. Yeah. And and you can get real crafty, like we're getting, and take those mailing addresses and put mm-hmm. them up and retarget via mailing addresses. Yeah. So there's all kinds of ways around that. Yeah, super smart. So uh, as we move forward then, and just wanted to get some uh, additional thoughts around website development and, and trends for the future and so on. I mean, I know we've covered a lot of ground here today, but uh, as you as you take a step or 20 back and you look mm, from sort of an unbiased perspective of what's possible here uh, in the e-commerce, in the online landscape... Uh, where where do you think the biggest opportunities are for folks moving forward? And if they're not doing something in particular on their site, what are some of those, I don't know, maybe top one or two things other than the call to action that you think people absolutely need to be doing and mobile responsiveness, of course? Uh, call to action, you want to have, you know, privacy policy. Um, Is that GDPR thing for that, real? Uh, that's Y2K. I think that's a whole bunch of Y2K bullshit if you ask really me. It's really annoying, but what, what people are... Uh, Hearing about the GDPR, which was laws for the European European, Union, is that other countries are going to follow suit. Mm -hmm. So the U.S. doesn't have that law yet, but people are speculating it's coming down the pike. Yeah, Good news, America, most e-commerce takes place right here at home. Yeah, well, in reality, it's just my understanding is it's just localized content. Like if you're trying to create something in the local lingo using the local language and that sort of thing well then you then you're subject to the to those rules but if you're not intentionally targeting someone and they just happen to land on your site uh, you're you're not in violation of those gdpr pr regulations to my understanding think about it when you have a website your website is global unless you decide to block a whole bunch of countries Mm-hmm. which um, I heard the L.A. Times was like, hey, we're just not going to deal with this. We'll just block all those countries. Mm-hmm. So that is one option you could do. But, you know, once you dig into it, it's actually not that hard. Mm-hmm. And WordPress has put some tools in place that will build your privacy policy for you. You mm-hmm. just have to swap out a few sentences. Yes, so, Wade. Yeah. And, but just to confirm, that's only if they're doing commerce. So, for instance... If they're merely listening to our podcasts, and in the process, I'm not asking them for their email address or anything, then I'm not impacted by that, correct? I am not a lawyer, but <laughs> I believe you are fine. Yeah. I believe you are fine. So who here is going to raise their hand and say they're violating this thing? I mean, does... Well, and, and it's an in America, enfor- and, it, and it's an enforcement issue. I mean, what, are, Christina? You would know. So are, the, there, the, are there the, five billion websites right now? Like it's, you know, I don't really know. Actually, I yeah. should know that number, but That's, there's there's a, a boatload. There's more than one. Yes. Yeah. The idea is to pre- protect people's privacy. So if somebody comes to you and says, "What data do you have on me?" You need to be able to show what data you have on them, and then if they want it removed. You have to remove it. Yeah, I don't so know. I think GDPR just, is like short for God d- privacy right. Yep. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> well, yeah, you know there was a, been a lot of groaning on the internet because now there's just a lot of work we have to do that we don't get compensated for. Yeah. Right? It's not fun and sexy and cool. It's yeah, like but somebody built a nice little cottage 
business for themselves, just doing this whole GDPR yeah. stuff. And and again, I kind of compared to the Y two K thing, just a whole bunch of skies falling, and we're going out of business, and we got to do this. And so here, let's yeah. just make it simple for people. If you've got WordPress, go inside WordPress. You push a button, it creates the privacy policy for you. Mm-hmm. Change just a couple of sentences for yourself. Add it to your footer. There you go. There you go. But again, I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> and I don't play one either. <laughs> I don't play one either. So um, just want to make sure that there are any last sort of words of wisdom that you would impart to folks in, in terms of their websites and creation and just um, design and so on. What uh, what are some final thoughts around that? My final thoughts are if you the, the thing about having a website is it's your real estate on the Internet. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. if you're relying on, oh, I've got a Facebook fan page, you know, Facebook can shut you down if mm-hmm. they want to. So by having a site that's your space, you control, you can do whatever you want. You're the king of the hill there. Yeah. And the key is to get started because if you don't have a site, you've got these ideas in your head. Once you put your site out there, once you start to get people engaging with you, they'll kind of tell you more of what they want. Mm -hmm. And this is how I reinvented myself from being the shopping cart queen to teaching the website creation workshop is they were having trouble getting the shopping cart on their website. Mm -hmm. Oh, you don't have control of your website? Oh, website building is hard? Oh. And I only discovered that by interacting with my clients. Mm-hmm. So that's why you just start building a site. doesn't have to be perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, my big tip is if people have an About Us page, mm-hmm. put your full name on your About Us page. Is that from an SEO perspective? or Yeah, or j- uh, from an SEO perspective and from people coming to your site. I go to so many sites, I click About Us, I see a picture, hopefully, but then I'm reading their story, and it, what, what's your name? Mm. So, you know, make sure huh, you have your name. I have, to, I have to now look at ours and see if we even have my name. And your picture. Pictures there. Yeah. Yes. Lots of pictures. Much, much, much to my wife's chagrin, lots of pictures. Yes. My point is don't be afraid of getting started mm-hmm. if you haven't yet started. All right. <laughs> fair enough. So yeah. if people want more information about you and, uh, and all of the fun things that you are up to, where are some of the best places for them to go? Okay. So, uh, my name is Christina Hills again, in case you missed it at the beginning. It's on your about page? It is on <laughs> good, my about good, page, good. yes. Go yeah. to WebsiteCreationWorkshop.com. WebsiteCreationWorkshop.com. Awesome. Yes. Or I'm sure there's a call to action there, too. There's a call to action. <laughs> yeah. Well, very helpful stuff. I mean, look, reality is it, it amazes me that there are still people today that, that don't have sites and, you know, you just kind of scratch your head and you go, I don't know what else we can tell you other than it's probably something you should be doing. Absolutely. But reality is that there are millions and billions of people who have sites that need to be updated, that need to be brought into the, you know, the, the 2018s here, right? And, uh, and through your training and, and tutelage yes. there, they'll, they'll pick up a lot of ideas and information about how to make that happen. So, Absolutely. Christina, really do appreciate you joining us here today. And, uh, and we've got our work to do. I know, like I said, I know when I go to, to our sites, I look at them all the time and just go, man, there's, there's so much room for improvement here. But like you said, it's, uh, it's just a matter of getting the, the versions out and tweaking them and, and moving forward from there. So, Again, Christina Hills, thank you for joining thank us here you. on Reinvention Radio pleasure. and sharing your stories and for White Wade holding it down in the studio over yonder and Kelly holding it down back at headquarters and the one and only Mary Goulet and Richie Ote. I am Steve Olsher and we will talk to you guys next time here on 
Reinvention Radio. Take care, everybody. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit reinventionradio.com. Attention coaches, authors, speakers, and business owners. Please pay close attention to what I'm about to say if you want to secure massive visibility fast and generate thousands of highly qualified leads without spending a dime on advertising or marketing. The easiest way to make this happen is to appear as a guest on the world's most popular podcast. We recently came across an awesome resource that provides detailed contact information for 240 new media influencers who are looking for guests just like you. It's called the Ultimate Directory, and for a limited time, you can get the preview edition of the directory absolutely free. That's right, for free. It's time for you to get the visibility you and your business deserve and connect with the world's leading icons of influence who can make you famous with the push of a button. Get your free preview edition of the Ultimate Directory right now at www.myultimatedirectory.com. That's myultimatedirectory.com.